0: Hey, I'm Brandon, the online campus pastor here at Big Valley Grace, and thank you for taking a moment to watch this message. It is the teaching portion from one of our live weekend worship gatherings, and we have those every single weekend here online and in person. And I just want to extend an invitation to you to join us. We're just a local church, local body of believers, and we would love if you would join us uh, on a weekend upcoming here sometime soon. Uh, but as we get headed into this message together, a couple things just want to point you to. One is a connect card. If any way that that we can pray for you. If you want to contact us, that Connect Card form is just a really great way uh, to let us know that you're joining us. Any next steps you want to take, stuff like that is right on there. Also, if you want to bring in offering, a worshipful gift uh, to King Jesus, you can do that right on our Give page, on our website, or via text. So hope you enjoy the unpacking, the unfolding of the Word as we look at it together. Thanks, Joel. Thanks so much. So... I've been blessed by Joel's ministry and his encouragement. And, man, we are on a great adventure. And uh, <clears throat> been a part of many building projects of Big Valley Grace Community Church. Our history goes way back. And there was a time when one of our theme verses was Habakkuk 1.5. It's taken a little bit out of context, but it does connect with Ephesians 3.20-21. 20, but Habakkuk 1.5 says, look and be amazed, for I'm going to do something in your lifetime that you would not believe had you not seen it with your own eyes. And we have just been amazed at God's good work here at Big Valley. And the ministry that has taken place is greater than any one of us could ever have dreamed at the moment. And what's going to happen through this family ministry pavilion, what God has in store is greater than any, what any one of us could imagine because of his great power that works within us. And whatever we do in the name of the Lord is not in vain. He's able to take what little we do and make it into something really huge for His glory. And look forward to that day. And that really takes us right to the passage of Scripture today in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and share a few other verses, but we're going to really park in 1 Corinthians 3 today. And uh, there's a study sheet that you should have received when you came in. If you did not receive one, it would be helpful to you today. For nothing more than other than take it home and look at the other verses that are mentioned here. So if you missed it, uh, just raise your hand or ushers have some that are ready to go. Just keep them up until it's passed out to you. But I'd like for everyone to have one. I know it is a helpful guide when you go home. And the intent of it because there's just no way we can turn to all the passages that I'll be referencing today, but it's for you to to study and to go back and look at. Maybe there's a verse that you're going to discover that uh, was there all along, but you just never had a chance to look at it and read it. And I always encourage you, writing your Bibles, mark it up. It helps us when we do your funerals to see what it is that touched your heart, and uh, it's just a, it's a good resource for us all, right? And something you can pass on uh, to your children. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment. <clears throat> that you had an opportunity to have coffee with Jesus. Opportunity to walk in a park with him and where he could just spend some time with you. And you could spend time with him. Have you ever been with, with someone that just right out of the gate, it's their personality, it's their demeanor, and it just overflows with love and acceptance and joy and no condemnation. Have you ever been around someone like that? That's what it would be like with Jesus. No matter what it is that you, where your life has taken you, Paul says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. In fact, his harshest words were always for those that were the religious leaders who should have known better. But for the common person, the tax collectors, the publicans, the women that were destitute, whatever it was, even Zacchaeus, there was such a A grace and a love that just flowed from him. And people wanted to be with him. And when you have that kind of a personality, you you want to to be with that kind of a person. But there's two things I know that would be on the heart of Christ for each one of us. I want you to think about this, and this is where we'll take us into our lesson. It is his strong desire that each of us, that each of our lives would be built upon a firm foundation. That's his desire for every one of us, regardless of where we are at today, and if there are any of you that are watching online today, or maybe a friend brought you here, or you wandered in, or whatever brought you here today, there may be some, where if we were to sit down, you would say, you know, I've been running away from the Lord, and he's been chasing me. And today, the Lord brought me here today. I'm not sure why, but he brought me here today. Maybe that's part of your story. Maybe you have been away from the Lord. I mean, you've been struggling with some sin issues and just don't know if the Lord really really loves you or accepts you, whatever that is, I know the Lord would just would appeal to you to come follow me, to stop where you're going, change your direction, and come follow me. What he has in store for each one of us is greater than any of us could ever imagine. So his desire for each of us is that we would have a firm foundation, and that firm foundation can only be in him. And the second thing, I know that he would desire for each one of us is that we would live fruitful lives. He doesn't want any of us to waste our lives. He doesn't want any of us to get to the end of our life and look back with huge regret. His desire is that each of our lives would bear fruit and that fruit would remain for all of eternity. And that you and I would know just unending joy of a life that's well lived. That would be his desire, and he would want to communicate that to each each one of us. And I want to communicate that to you today so that wherever you are, that you would be open to the Lord and whatever he it is that he would uh, speak to you today. There was a, an athlete back in the late 1800s. His dad got saved by Dwight L. Moody. And he had several brothers, and they all thought dad was nuts to give his life to the Lord. But over the course of time, God spoke to each of these young men, and they changed, and their lives were changed. And Charles Thomas Studd became a changed man because of Christ. At 26 years old, he was an incredible athlete in England. The world was really at his footsteps. There was nothing that he, that he wouldn't be able to do. His personality, his drive, uh, his um, skill sets were such that he could have done anything that he wanted to do. But at 26, his brother became very, very ill, and it caused him to reevaluate his life. And if you were to go into my office, you would see this quote, which is in your study sheet, and he realized that, that at the end of life, that all the fame and honor a notoriety, uh, whatever he he would receive on this earth would pale in comparison to what waited for him in eternity. And he says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Folks, that's a keeper. And that ought to be written on the inside of your Bible to be reminded, just as I'm reminded every day when I go into my office, that there really, folks, there's only one life that you and I get Only one life. You don't get a dozen of them. You get one. And it will soon be passed. And the truth of the matter is, is that only what's done for Christ will last. And the Lord's going to challenge us today that as we build, as, as, as the foundation of Christ is laid into our lives, that we would build on it that which will last. That my business will be built on that which would last that my employment would be built on that which is last, that my home would be built on that which is last, that my children would build on the foundation of Christ, that which would last for all of eternity and not pass away. That's God's desire. So as we look at this, now, look at First Corinthians chapter three. We're going to start at verse 10 and read through 15. I'm reading in the New American Standard, and here's what Paul says. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, Paul says, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. That was Paul's modus of operandi. He wanted to go where the gospel had never gone before. He wanted to be the first to tell others about Christ so that the foundation would be laid and he would have others come and help people to grow in their relationship with Christ. And that's why he says, I laid a foundation and others are building on it. But here, this is what you underline. But each man, each woman, each person, each young person, old person, must be careful how he or she builds on it the foundation of Christ. In verse, 10, uh, verse 11, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any man builds on the foundation of Christ with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, verse 13, there's coming a time where each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And if any man's work which he has built on it remains, that's gonna be a happy man. He will receive a reward, but if any man's work is burned up, he or she will suffer loss. That person himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And none of us want to have a verse 15 experience. Lord would have each of us to have a fourteen, verse 14 experience. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity today to open up your word. That, Father, that your word would penetrate our hearts, that, that, Lord, you would do that miraculous work as you walked on this planet, that you would open our eyes so that we might see you, see your word clearly. That our our eyes would be unplugged so that we would hear your voice and your Holy Spirit speaking to us. That our hearts would not not be hard in this moment, but soft to receive you. That our minds would be clear and renewed in you. Father, that in every way that we be men and women impassioned and looking forward to the day when we see you face to face and hearing you say, welcome home. So Lord, I thank you for the promise of your word and for what I will do in our lives here today in Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen, amen. We're going to come back to 1 Corinthians 3 here in just a moment, but there's a favorite passage of mine in Ephesians 2.10 and 19 through 22 that lays out three truths which I think are important for us to begin. And I think it's important to begin because we have a diversity of ages here, and I think it's important to know as we look at Ephesians 2.10, it says that we, each one of us, are Christ's workmanship. We're handcrafted by him, every one of us. And we've been placed in this generation for a purpose for things that he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And the three essential truths of each one of us that's here is that we, folks, there's not a one of us that's either here by mistake or made by a mistake. God did not make a mistake when he made us. That is absolutely true. And that's important to know. With thanksgiving, I can praise the Lord no matter how I am. While I may not be as good as one or or better than someone else, whatever it is, Lord, you have made me the way that I am. You did not make a mistake when you made me. You purposely designed me to be the man and woman that I am today with thanksgiving. And there's a lot of young men and women today that are confused about that. They're not at all grateful for how God has made them. As moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas, we need to encourage our young people that God did not make a mistake when he made you, but you are wonderfully, wonderfully made. And the second part of it is that we are made to bear fruit, every one of us, however we are today, young and old, we are, God has a purpose in our life and it's to bear fruit. And the idea of bearing fruit is that it's a blessing to others, that is a blessing not only to our families and our church and our community, but wherever we would go. How many of you have an orange tree or a lemon tree in your yard? Can I see it? I, I grew up on a farm, so I relate to farm things. And if you raise citrus, I'm, I'll bet you a bunch that you're going to your friends and saying, Would you like some oranges? I got a lot of oranges. <laughs> Anyone need lemons? I got a lot of lemons. Somebody planted three lemon trees on our property. I got more. Or- I could give away lemons. I should have brought just baskets of them because I could have get them all away here today. And that's how the Lord wants us, our lives to be. So fruitful that it has to be given away and that our lives bear fruit and that fruit remains. And th- thirdly, and this is a true, and this is found in verses 19 through 22, that we are at our best, we are in Christ. He made us. He made us to have a relationship with him, and he knows that we can do nothing apart from him, and we are at best, not when we're running away from him, but when we are in his arms and we're following him. And those three truths make a difference for how we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15 that we are wonderfully made, he desires that we bear fruit for him, and that we are best when we are in his keep, when his arms are around us, and we're not running away from him, but running towards him. So there's two kinds of foundations that Jesus says exist in this world. There's also two kinds of roads. There's not three, there's not a hundred, there's two. There's one, one road that leads toward him, there's another road that's wide and leads away from him. There's also two foundations that one can put in uh, in one's life to build their life upon, and it's either rock or it's sand. And if any of you that are in the construction business, you know how important it is to have a solid foundation upon upon which to build a home or upon which to build a building. If we didn't put a good foundation, I don't care how much money we raise, that building's not going to last. But when it's on a solid foundation, it's going to last for a long, long time and serve the Lord for many, 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 many years. And that's what the Lord wants in each of our lives, is that we would build on a foundation that won't go away. And Jesus said that the only difference, this is where you need to look it up, the only difference between the uh, one whose life is built upon the rock or built upon the sand is what it is that you'll do with Jesus' words. Because you have two individuals in Matthew chapter 7 who hear the words of Jesus and one decides to obey and implement it in their lives. And Jesus said, the one who does that, he is likened to a man who builds his house upon the rock. And when the storms come, and folks, you know it. You know it. Maybe you're real young and you think there's nothing but roses ahead. And we're here to tell you today that every one of us in some course of our life is gonna shed tears. In the course of our life, There's going to be stuff that's going to happen that's going to rock our world. And the one whose life is built upon Christ, that will stand. But if you build your life upon sandy stuff, when those storms of life come, man, you're going to get blown away. If you think your security is in your retirement account, you're going to be very disappointed. If you think your security is in Ammons, (laughs) you're going to be really disappointed. If you're in walnuts, you are really disappointed. (laughs) You get what I'm talking about? If you think your security and your happiness is going to be in your family, you're going to be disappointed. If you think that your happiness is going to be upon marrying the right right woman or the right man, you're going to be disappointed. When you look at the things that people base their life upon other than Christ, you're going to get to the end of your life and you're going to be very disappointed. And when trouble comes, you'll have nothing to stand upon. And what's neat about this passage in Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to get to 1 Corinthians 3 here in just a moment, is it's never too late. I want you to hear this wherever you are at today. And whoever's listening, it's never too late to build your house on Christ. No matter how old you are, or where you have gone, or what you have done, it is never too late. That's why this word is so good. That's why we hide it in our hearts. Write this down. This is an extra. Job, Joel chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. You look that up. Because there's a wonderful promise that the Lord would have for each one of us. Is that the Lord will fill the empty vats with new wine. He will restore what the swarming locusts have eaten. And if you have waited a long time to build your foundation on Christ, you you have lost a lot. You have missed many opportunities. And the Lord is saying to you, if, if you surrender my, yourself to me today, I'm going to restore what the locusts have eaten. I'm going to bring new wine back into your life. I'm going to breathe, breathe life unto the dead bones. And the years that are ahead of you will be far more fruitful than you have ever seen, even if you're 70 years old here today. Folks, that is God's word. That is his promises. It is never, never too late that if you've been building your life on sand and your house is shaken, today's a great day to say, Jesus, I want to build my life on you. I'm going to stop running away from you. I want to build upon you today. So how do we build our life upon Christ? Three things. John chapter 15 says that we build our life. It starts first in abiding in Christ. And the word abiding means that that we're to to stay in, to continue in, to be close and settled in Christ. It means to rest in his arms. He says, "If, if any man abides in me and I abide in him, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you could do nothing. Because he's the vine, we're the branches. He beckons us to have a close relationship with him so that when we abide in him, when we wrap our arms around him, when we cling to him, and he abides in us and he is in us, we will bear fruit. And here's the beauty of it it's not me, it's him who bears fruit through me. I can relax. If I cling to him and if I make him my aim, he will put opportunities in my life. He will work through me through his Holy Spirit. And it will be him who will bear fruit through me and he'll receive all the honor and all the glory. He's not asking me to work hard. He's asking me to cling to him and let him work. And the second aspect is that his word needs to abide in us. So that when his word abides in us, there's, there's, there's there's a, it's like putting fertilizer into our lives. His word becomes real to us. It becomes dynamic to us. And he says, if your word abides in me and I'm abiding in you, you can ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. And that's not a Santa Claus prayer. That is saying that when my heart and my passion is for Christ, I'm gonna do what he wants me to do. I'm gonna be praying, Lord, that your kingdom come, your will be done in my life, just as it's done in heaven. And as I see things that need to be changed in Christ, I can pray, and God is pleased to answer those prayers. But he wants his word to abide deeply in my life. And folks, boy, it has been a rich source of encouragement, my wife and I, as we pray for our children and our prodigals and the other people around our lives, knowing that God wants to answer those prayers. And he wants to do that in each one of, one of our lives. And whatever it would take, Lord, would you use me? If it means that I have to have cancer for someone else to come to Christ, then Lord, bring it on. You do whatever you want in my life that others might come to know you and love you more. Whatever it is, Lord. Man, that is freedom, folks, when we come to that place in our life. So when we abide in him, his word abides us, and particularly when his word abides us, you know what the third thing is? We can begin acting in full confidence that I am in Christ and he is in me, and if he is in me, who can stand against us? If the God is for me, who can stand against us? And the wonderful passage in, Proverbs, in, in promise in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, it says that he who comes to God must first believe that he is the almighty one. The one who, where nothing's too difficult for him. The one who never leaves me, never deserts me. The one who has a plan for my life. That's who the one I worship. And he will reward me if I seek him with all of my heart. Man, I can act in confidence knowing that God is with me. Yeah. And he'll take even a cup of cold water, give him the name of Christ. I'll never forget it. And there's an incredible reward for those just by that simple act of obedience. How do I build my life upon Christ? Boy, when I abide in him, his word abides in me, and I act in full confidence, you'll be amazed how our lives will start bearing incredible fruit. So how can we we be rich toward God? I'm gonna suggest a few things here. Matthew 5 says there's an incredible reward when we are persecuted for Christ's sake. Boy, that's a wonderful promise. When things aren't going well in your job because you, maybe you're being disfavored because of your relationship with Christ, maybe things are, your, your employer's putting pressure on you because of your relationship with Christ. Man, the Lord notices that. And he says, there will be a great reward in heaven for those who are persecuted for Christ's sake. He also says that we will be rich toward God when we express love to our enemies. That's neat, because Matthew 5 says, what benefit is it if if the only ones you show kindness to are the people that can show kindness back? But who loves their enemies? Who does good to those who hate you? And you got that person at work who's just really tough to be around. You You start showing kindness to them, watch God work. When you show kindness to your enemy, you're stepping out of the way so they can see God when you treat them mean spiritually all they see is you're you're just like them but when i take on the manner of christ when i imitate the lord like a like a little child and i love my enemies as he did let's watch god work and he says i noticed that i saw that and great will your reward be in heaven number three matthew six Throughout the chapter of Matthew 6, you will see this phrase over and over again, that what your father sees in secret, he's going to reward. That time that you, you, <clears throat> you go away into a quiet place just to be with him and his word, he notices that. Great will your reward be in heaven. That's gold and silver and precious stone stuff that you're building on the foundation of Christ. When you give not to be known But the kingdom of Christ would be advanced, he notices that. If your reason for giving is so that your name can be on a building, that's as far as it will go for you. But when you give for God's kingdom's sake, not to receive any applause but his applause, he notices that. And he delights in that. When we seek the Father's applause instead of man, he notices and he says, great will your reward be in heaven. Number four, how can we be rich toward God? When we do good to all. When we do good to all. And here's what this means. I want you to think about where, the things that, that you do in your life. Most of us here have jobs of some sort or businesses of some sort. And both in Ephesians and Colossians, the Lord says, when you do your work, you do it unto the Lord, not as unto men. That makes a huge difference in terms of the kind of employee you are and the kind of employer you are. And the Lord speaks to both of those situations. I had a friend who, shortly after high school, he chose not to go to college, but he started a business here in town. And the young men and women that went through his business as helpers and employees were blessed to have my friend as their boss because he treated them right, he paid them right, he loved them for who they were. They weren't just people that he used up. It is a blessing and it should be a blessing to have a Christian employer that you work for. And it should be a blessing to any business in town if you love Jesus and you get to work for that company. That company should be better for it that when you're doing sales that across that table is sending somebody who loves Jesus more than the dollar, who sees a need in that home maybe more than the thing that they're selling, who is known for their honesty and for their integrity. Folks, that goes a long ways. And when we are good to all, folks, it makes a difference in who we are as people. Good example. Lord calls us to be good to all right where you're at, in your neighborhoods and in your employments and in your businesses. When you are good to all in Christ's shine, he notices that, and great will your reward be in heaven. Fifthly, when we seek to do good on behalf of others, it makes a difference the Lord notices that. He says, well, if you have one cloak, you share, if you have two cloaks, share with one, you bless another person. You're an answer to somebody's prayer. When you help a kid go to camp, he'm Lake Camp, because they can't afford it, and you help them because God's given you resources to be able to help them, you're an answer to somebody's prayer, and God notices that if you do it for His reasons, for His kingdom purposes. When I assist somebody and help them with their car, He notices that, and when He gives me the resources, I can be a conduit, a blessing to others. He notices that, and I'm building upon the foundation of Christ, gold, silver, and precious stones. And lastly, when our lives are characterized by generosity, the Lord notices that. When he sees, when he he blesses me so I can be a blessing to others, the Lord notices it, big or small. Peter had a question. There was a young man that had come to Jesus, and he said, what must I do to follow you? And Jesus gave him some instruction. He went away sad because he had so much. He was unwilling to leave it all in the fall of Christ because he loved his stuff so much. And then Jesus says, you know it's tough for a rich man to go to heaven? And Peter was just shocked because he thought all rich people went to heaven. They must have a special favor from God to have so much. And he said, Lord, we have left all to follow you. And we weren't rich. We have left all. And then he assures Peter, he says, no one has left father and mother, sister, brother, or farms who won't receive this much and even more in the kingdom to come. And that even a cup of cold water given in the name of Christ has a reward. So when when your gardener comes and you extend grace to him and see him to be something far more than just somebody who does stuff for you, and you bless him with that cup of coffee or that cup of cold water, Jesus notices that sort of thing. When you tip that waitress, Jesus notices that kind of thing. When generosity flows of you, you are imitating the Father. Where the rain falls and the just and the unjust, you're just like our Father, and He notices even the smallest little thing. He doesn't ever forget. It makes a difference when we recognize that our 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 homes belong to the Lord, our work belongs to Him. Our businesses belong to him. Our students, uh, our studies belong to him. Our sports belong to him. When we recognize that everything belongs to him, what a difference it makes. And one of the things I'm looking forward to is when we start building that building, as we've done this before, we want that spot to be the best place in Modesto to work. That when they step on this property, we have people praying for them. We're, We're providing coffee for them. We're providing meals for them. We're loving them in Christ as they do good work here, that they can't wait to be here because this is a place where they see Christ. That's one of the things that's going to happen. I love this quote from Boyd Bailey. He's an associate pastor of First Baptist Church in Atlanta. And he says that if we act like we are the owner of our possessions, then the acquisition of more possessions becomes our motivation. But if we live like the Lord is the owner of our stuff and we are his steward, then the distribution of his possessions becomes our passion. And he says, generosity starves out greed because you can't be generous if you're greedy. You can. If it's your aim to hold on stuff because you're fearful of what might lie ahead, you won't be generous. But when you have a relationship with the Lord where he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all the things that others worry about, I will supply. When you have that kind of freedom, knowing that as the Lord takes care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, he'll take care of me if I seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. If I'm obedient to him, he'll take care of my future. And that releases me from the stranglehold of greed and frees me to be a conduit of God's blessing to whoever I might see. Isn't that cool that the Lord would do that? And it enables me to find joy as I am in Christ's service using what he has given to me. Jim Elliott was 22 years old in 1949. And in his journal, he had just graduated from Wheaton College, and I remember when I was 22. I was no near close Uh, I I couldn't even polish this guy's shoes. He was an outstanding athlete. He was an outstanding young man at Wheaton College. He was the president of the student body that was there. He was going places. Uh, He's the kind of guy that when you see him, he would have easily made it into the top Fortune 500 leading major companies. He had that skill, that ability. He was a natural born leader. Well thought of by his student body, but at 22, as he evaluated his life, he wrote in his journal, he says that he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's another keeper. Think about that. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep. What can't you keep? A lot of stuff you can't keep. A lot of nice stuff you can't keep. Can't keep any of it. He's no fool to give up that which he cannot keep to gain that which you cannot lose. What can you not lose? Those gold, silver, precious stones, treasures that are laid up in heaven. I'm gonna talk just a moment about rewards. Because when we cross out of this life into the next, Jesus is gonna be our most greatest reward. It's not Jesus and stuff. It's not what we're talking about here today. When I was, when my dad was alive and I was younger, there were some things that he gave to me that when I had them, it wasn't the thing that was so precious as what it represented, the love of my father. I had a few of those things that were stolen from me. <clears throat> they saw the stuff. And I could easily replace it because it wasn't, wouldn't be that expensive to replace it. But what I can't replace is that even if I were to substitute it, it wasn't the thing that my dad gave me. The treasure of it was that it represented my father's love for me. I still have the first letter my dad ever wrote to me. It would mean nothing to you. It means everything to me. Because it was from my father who loved me. And when you and I cross out of this life into the next, the stuff's going to be great. Great. But it's going to become great because it comes from our Father who loves us and is proud of us and saw all the little things that we did in his name. It won't because he owes us anything. He owes us nothing. We'll just be glad to be in heaven. <laughs> but out of his love, he says, oh, I'm so grateful for you. Well done. And for Jim Elliot, that's what he wanted to hear. And just seven years later, he gave up his life willingly with four other men so that a group of people who had never heard the gospel might get saved. And it's an incredible story about those five men in Ecuador who gave up their life. So a whole people group are in Jesus today. He gave up that which he couldn't keep to gain that which he could never, ever lose. Because folks, we're all going there, right? I don't care how hard you try. There's an appointment we're all going to keep. And it's the fool who's not ready for that appointment. We want you to be ready for that appointment. I'm gonna close with this last verse in Hebrews 6.10. And this is a wonderful promise. It ought to be underlined in your Bible. You ought to remember it. It says, for God is not unjust so as to forget our work and love which we have shown toward his name and having ministered and is still ministering to the saints. Folks, that's a wonderful promise (laughs) to know that there is nothing that our God has not seen and there is nothing that he will never ever forget in that what we might have been done in his name and how we have trusted him, how we have laid ourselves into his hands. He is not so unjust as to forget or to neglect. There's a lot of folks that are serving in our nursery today to the applause of the Father. Not fun changing dirty diapers when it's not your own, even your own child, but they do it to the glory of the Father. There are people that are serving here, 64 new people that are serving here today to the glory of the Father. And all of that, is noted, and he can't wait to say thank you. Isn't that cool? So our closing prayer today is, Lord, how do you want me to be rich toward you? Lord, I want to be rich toward you. I want to build upon this foundation, that which will last forever. Lord, would you lead me? Would you bless my family? Would you direct my family? Would you help me to make you Lord of all in my life? And let's watch God word. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your word. I have nothing to say if it wasn't for your word here today. I'm so grateful for the hope that's here, particularly, Lord, to know that it's never too late for any of us to reestablish ourselves upon you and to say from this point on, Lord, we want it to be all about you. And so, Lord, would you work in our hearts? Would you just continue to move in us as a people, as a family of God here at Big Valley Grace? That, Father, that we would be infectious in Christ, that as where we go this next week, into the workplace, into our neighborhoods, as we connect with our families, our schoolmates, and our teachers. Man, that there would be a sweeter sense of Jesus in our lives. As we look forward to the things that matter the most, as we make our lives count for you, our businesses count for you, our employment count for you, our homes count for you. Because one of these days, Lord, we're going to see you. And that's going to be a joyful day. One that we're eager to see. So Lord, would you work within us, direct our steps. Would you receive all the honor and the glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.